He called up one day. He said, I think I remember you telling me you had some old whiskey. And I said, yeah. He said, have you ever bottled it? I said, no, we're thinking about doing it right now. <laughs> it hasn't matured just and, yet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Still waiting to we, get that It's going to take another week, and it'll be ready. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Bourbon Pursuit, and we're a little light on news, but there's a few things to cover. So this week, Old Forester launched its fourth and final expression in the Whiskey Row series. It's the Double Barreled 1910 Old Fine Whiskey. Now a little bit of a backstory on how it became to be. In October of 1910, a fire caused the bottling line to shut down for an indefinite period amount of time. Complicating matters even more, there was a vat of mature whiskey that was waiting to be bottled. Otherwise facing ruin, this whiskey was instead stored in new charred oak containers to rest until the line could be repaired. If that sounds somewhat familiar, you've probably heard this term doubled oak nowadays. The resulting product was the first documented double-barreled whiskey of its time and was both different from Old Forester and remarkable enough to become an entirely new expression. It was called Very Old Fine Whiskey. Old Forester has undergone a second barreling in a lightly toasted but heavily charred barrel, so Old Forester 1910 Old Fine Whiskey is presented at 93 proof and will start hitting the shelves nationally this month in October of 2018 with a suggested retail price of $54.99. In other news, Dixon Deadman, the founder of Kentucky Bourbon, has recently acquired a stake in Eli Mason. It's a Nashville-based cocktail mixer company. I don't really know what to think of it right now. We're going to have to see how this plays out. And this week, an article on punchdrink.com came out talking about stickers on bottles that inflate the prices in the secondary market. Of course, we've talked about this on a very recent episode, 166, where we talked about how these are sort of becoming like trading cards, if you will. But wouldn't you know, one of the three pictures on the article was none other than our Buffalo Trace pick for the Bourbon Community Roundtable. So it was really cool to see that as well. In Bourbon Pursuit news, we are ending our recording sprint. We are done for at least a little bit. We recorded 18 podcasts over the past three weeks. We hit Wild Turkey, Michter's, Old Forster, Jefferson's, and Heaven Hill. We got exclusive interviews with the CEO of Independent Stave Company, Jim Rutledge, and more. We interviewed venture capitalists of bourbon. We interviewed barrel brokers. And on top of it all, we also had a WWE superstar. So we've been busy and we're really looking forward to putting these in the content catalog and the content calendar and getting these edited and put out for you as well. Next week is our Bourbon Community Roundtable. So if you want to be a part of the live action, make sure you follow us on social and you can be able to get notified when the invite goes live to be able to join us as well. As well, our Four Roses barrel pick that we did not too long ago has actually been moved up. The bottling date is pushed to November 7th. So this actually might be one of our first barrels that we're gonna be getting in. So Patreon folks can look forward to seeing the sign-up sheet soon for that. The Kentucky Derby Museum Legend Series, those tickets are now on sale. So you have Pam and Andrea of Michters, who we actually just recorded, who will have a new podcast coming out. We've got Craft Night featuring Rabbit Hole, Jep the Creed, as well as the Peerless Founders, and Dixon Deadman of Kentucky Owl. The first one begins in January, so buy your tickets at derbymuseum.org slash legendseries. Now for this episode, it's time for me to put my foot in my mouth. It was a long time ago in an episode where I gave a neg I just kind of gave some negative press about this whiskey without even trying it. In retrospect, and when I look back and I think about it, I had disdain for what I thought it represented. It was an overpriced and overage whiskey, thinking that it was just taking advantage of a market. And even last week's episode, I gave a mention about it, but it was before I had the chance to try it. Now, after recording this episode, I have a new respect for the whiskey, even though I may not care to buy a bottle, but more importantly, it's the cause that it supports by donating tens of thousands, actually hundreds of thousands of dollars to veteran charities. And, but more importantly, it is the man behind it that makes the story great. Buddy Thompson brings to this story more than just an $1,800 bottle of bourbon. He was the former chairman of Glenmore Distillery, which is not only a great piece of history just to capture this podcast, but it holds a special place in my heart for my first love of bourbon, 
Kentucky Tavern. Now, Halloween is coming, and if you're dressing up as a Blanton's bottle or... I want to see it. Go. Interesting stories, interesting bourbon-related costumes. Tag us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and we want to be able to share that because what's more fun than Halloween and bourbon? And did you also know that we're now on Spotify? You can go catch every single podcast by going to your smart speaker and you can say, hey, Alexa, use Spotify to play Bourbon Pursuit podcast. And guess what? It'll work. And if you haven't done so, please leave a review. We've got a lot of you that listen to this podcast and those reviews help us grow bigger and stronger every single day. Now, with that, make sure you enjoy this week's episode. And here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. It's that time of year when people start announcing their whiskeys of the year. The bourbon world gawks and jeers these picks, debating the virtues of William Leroux Weller, Booker's Rye, or Elijah Craig Barrel Proof. For years, I've belonged to these organizations that paid me to sit on panels and select the best bourbon. But not this year. See, when I started Bourbon Plus Magazine, I parted ways with these other magazines, as it would have been a conflict of interest to remain their American whiskey critic but my magazine is currently not giving out awards. So that puts me in a weird period in which I'm not participating in the typical annual award contests. I felt a hole in my heart, a yearning to taste more whiskey and say which one I thought was best. So I did what any professional bourbon taster would do. I figured out a way to add yet another award segment to 2018. With my partnership with Forbes, I will be blind tasting what I think are the best American whiskeys of 2018. These are only whiskeys that were released in 2018. They are Four Roses Limited Edition Small Batch, Eagle Rare 17-Year-Old, William LaRue Weller, Kentucky Al Rye Whiskey, Batch 1, King of Kentucky, Old Forester Birthday Bourbon, representing the craft category, Wilderness Trail Bottled and Bond, representing the barrel finish category, Wild Turkey Revival, and nominated by the Patreon subscribers, Elijah Craig Barrel Proof, and Stack Jr. Batch 10. When tallying this list, I quickly realized that I've narrowed it down to mostly the hardest to get highly allocated whiskeys. And that sucks because chances are you won't be able to find the winner. In my effort to select the best whiskey of 2018, I saw the error in my ways and realized I need a competition for the everyday sippers. And so that's what I'm going to do. Before the My Best of 2018, I will blind taste 10 available bourbons. The winner will be entered into the Best of 2018, but I need your help. Email me at fred at fredminnick.com or hit me up on Twitter at fredminnick or Instagram at fredminnick or connect with me on Patreon with your nomination for the Best Everyday Sipper. That's right. I will assess every single bourbon that's emailed to me and consider it for this blind tasting of 10 for the best everyday sipper. The winner will then go on to compete for the best American whiskey of 2018. I will then publish it on Forbes.com. And may the best bourbon win. That's this week's Above the Char. Make sure you sign up for my free newsletter, where I make fun of vodka and spread the bourbon gospel. You can sign up at fredminnick.com. Until next week, cheers. And they're off for another Get 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 0002703. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink 
barely-filtered pot-still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof, and the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Welcome back to the episode of the Bourbon Pursuit Podcast, the official podcast of bourbon. Kenny and Ryan, actually in Louisville today, of all yeah. places recording, which is great. We tip. We don't actually honestly get an opportunity to do that too often. No, not, not many times can I walk to like our recording site. <laughs> I, I like, just a few blocks down. So when he sent me the address, I was like, oh, this is great. I can just show up like in you know, two minutes. So. <laughs> perfect. Oh, yeah. No traffic. Yeah. No traffic. We made, made, it a real, made it real easy to, to get here because uh, it is literally just a few minutes away from us. But, you know, this is not a, it's not necessarily a distillery we're talking about. It's this project, right? And yeah. I think uh, this is going to be one that's going to be. A, very educational for us as we go through this, uh, very educational for the mass amounts of people that are out there as well, because this is something that is not necessarily, I mean, it's, uh, when you say super limited, it's like <laughs> rarer than rare can limited honestly really be at this point. You know, you, you talk about some distilleries that put out 4,000 bottles as a limited release and it goes out nationwide and everybody's scurrying everywhere. Um, this is, you're looking at 250 bottles that came out of the first batch and that's it right like that's it's very very minuscule when you talk about in those those regards yeah and just given the age of the product it's something so unique like you never really see something with you know this old and so immediately i was intrigued by this project when it first came out unfortunately i was like out of town when it kind of happened and and missed out on the opportunity to buy but uh you know i um, Mr. Thompson sent us some info, you know, about the product, and I was like very intrigued by the history and everything behind this. So I'm super excited to dive deep into this and kind of give our listeners because there's so much history behind this product. Absolutely, and it's going to be an opportunity for me to eat a little crow today too, right? Because I remember <laughs> on a on a past podcast, kind of talking about you know people saying you know they were lining up the day before to be able to go and buy this. So it was at the Fraser History Museum. And, you know, I, I can't remember what the retail price was, but it's up there. And then the flipping price was even way up there. And then a lot of people said, uh, you know, they said the nose was great. And then they were like, well, the taste is, you know, you gotta, you gotta figure out how to taste it correctly. And, you know, I, I kind of said some things that were like, well, it's 40 old bourbon. Like, what do you expect? Right. So there's some things that you're going to have to be able to do differently. And hopefully our guests today are going to debunk a lot of those things that I said, and they're going to steer us in the right direction. Yeah, so be a dick, Kenny. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, as soon as I saw that email, even tries through, it, just, no. <laughs> as soon as I saw that email come through, I was like, ah, oh, shit, here we go. <laughs> this is a family show. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, Let's go ahead and introduce our guest today. So we have uh, we have two gentlemen. First, we have Buddy Thompson. Buddy is the man that's behind James Thompson and Brothers Final Reserve. He's also the former chairman of Glenmore Distilleries. And we also have Scott Senta. Scott was the project and design manager behind the Final Reserve as well. So mm -hmm. gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, Absolutely. I'm excited. Yeah. So before we get into this and, you know, Scott, we're going to let you go first because I think Buddy's... Uh, going to uh, hopefully be long-winded and tell some, some good history here. He's got some great stories. Yeah, that's that's, yes, that's exactly what we want to hear. We love right? those. Yeah. When we just shut up and listen. <laughs> so, Scott, tell us a little bit about, like, either, like, your journey into bourbon. Did you, uh, are you drinking, I mean, you're from Louisville as well. We were talking before we started recording. We're both Trinity grads from here in Louisville. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just being here in Kentucky, was it just a, a natural acclimation to bourbon for you, or was it something that, 
is there something that kind of puts you over the edge and got you into it? It was it was exciting to, to get into the industry about 20 years ago, just slid into it. I'm a graphic designer, and I have other clients. I do other things, but I kind of got it back into I got into liquor because I lived in Louisville, and and it was wineries at first, and then the distilleries, and um, it's been it's just been a dream come true to be able to work directly with owners of craft distilleries and wineries and uh, and then meeting Buddy. It was a Tuesday morning. I remember it'll be three years tomorrow that Buddy called me. Mm-hmm. I didn't even, I didn't know Buddy. I found out later on in life, later on in this project that we knew a lot of the same people because this is a small town. Yeah. So he called me on a Tuesday morning and said, uh, I got your name from, I think it was, was it? One of the label people. One of the, um, yeah, uh, uh, Otto, Otto Knopp, oh, yeah. And um, he said that uh, you you design labels and, and that's all I thought I was going to be doing was design a label. I didn't know we were going to be doing this huge project, putting this box together and creating a package for this, a collector box. And uh, he said, well, um, I've got this bourbon I've been holding on to for a while and I need to get it, I'd like to get it bot- labeled and bottled. I said, sure. He said, well, when, when can you meet? I said, well, two, I'm, I'm open this afternoon if you want to come over. So boom, <laughs> he's, time he's at my house at 2, 2.30 in the afternoon and sat down, told me his story and, and brought the bot, had a bottle of it, it wrapped up in, in bubble wrap and, um, and uh, told me a story and what he wanted to do with it and uh, raise money for, for the veterans, which really was exciting to me. And, um, and that's how we started. What was your initial reaction? He, so he contacts you, gives his history, and you're like, the product, you know, what What were you thinking? Like, man, this is a home run. This is, what What was kind of your thought behind it? Well, after hearing his story, it, to me, it was a home run uh, because no one holds on to bourbon that long and how dark it was. I mean, look yeah. how dark that is. Yeah. I mean, and like molasses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a cognac. And um, so uh, I just jumped in. You know, feet first, head first, and went after it, and we we just started working on the project, and uh, and it just developed as it went along. So before we get into some more of that, you know, let's let's turn it over to, to Buddy real quick. So Buddy, let's give a little bit of our listeners a history of, uh, you know, who you are and sort of your path that you've carved through the bourbon and whiskey and just spirits industry. Well, as you've seen, there's a little booklet that comes with the bottle. It gives some of the family history and the company history, but I can summarize it. My grandfather came over to this country during the potato famine in Ireland, and uh, he was a young man, 16 years old, and all he had was a few few dollars and a promise of a job. And uh, actually, it was with Mr. Brown. They formed a partnership called Brown and Thompson and they were dealing as brokers in bourbon. This was in 1872 and following years. And uh, in those days, as you guys would know, nearly every farm had a still because it was cheaper to ship spirits than to try to load corn onto a barge and ship that down the river. And so uh, they were in business together for 20 years or so and then decided to start their own individual companies. My grandfather and his brother by that time had come over from Ireland. He formed James Thompson and brother. Mr. Brown formed uh, Brown Foreman, which of course you're very familiar with. And then about 1900, my grandfather, and I was named for him, same name exactly, uh, they bought the distillery that became Glenmore in Owensboro, and that's when they began to produce whiskey instead of just broker it. That was Monarch, right? It was Monarch Distillery. The old Monarch, mm-hmm. yeah, distillery. So, what was the um, what was the reason of, of the breakup from Thompson and Brown to Brown going they, off and doing that? Was it, it just was the, a, it was they've been very successful? I think. I mean, from everything I've heard, uh, very successful. But they just decided it was. They, they both saw opportunities and decided they could form two companies. Mm-hmm. I think that's all it was. We're very, I'm very close friends with all the Browns. In fact, I think we're second or third cousins. <laughs> Sounds so, like Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> so why, why Owensboro? Why did he venture off to Owensboro? And well, because here? that was a distillery that was, a was available. Distillery, gotcha. Yeah, Monarch it distillery. It was available, okay. yeah. 
which they renamed Glenmore. Gotcha. And then, so talk about your time at Glenmore. Um, what were you What were you doing there during your, well, your years? I, I studied engineering in college. My brother went to the, went into the Air Force after he was after he graduated, and he wanted more than anything to come back and work at Glenmore. That was his ambition. Our father had been uh, president and chairman prior to that, and uh, his name was Frank, my brother named for him. Frank was running the company for about 10 years when he was diagnosed with cancer, and the disease got him in about seven or eight months. And at that point, I went back into the company. I've been I'm, uh, doing a lot of community work and charities, and I'm running a little investment company and things, other things. Anyhow, I went back into Glenmore and uh, ran it, uh, tried to run it <laughs> for about 15 years until 1991, when Guinness came along and, and bought it out from under us, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, so those, those, were, that was, those were my years there. But when at Glenmore, we, in the early 70s, <coughs> we thought it'd be kind of nice to have some old bourbon to, to do a commemorative bottling someday. Didn't have any idea what it would be. Maybe the millennium or some special anniversary. We didn't know what. Yeah, you passed the millennium <laughs> up already. Yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it came, and, it came and went so fast. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't old enough. <laughs> it wasn't old. It hadn't well, reached maturity. Yeah. Well, that's right. But, and this, this stuff was only 30 years old by then. So. Yeah. So we thought we'd better wait a little longer. <laughs> uh, and uh, there were, as you know about evaporation, we were we started with a, a little over a hundred barrels. Many of them, just due to age, broke and they they failed along the way. But we ended up with only five equivalent of five full barrels of bourbon. And uh, that's what we started to bottle earlier uh, at the end of. Uh, 17 and then into this year. So before we, we dive into it, because I think there's a lot of good history that I kind of want to yeah. uh, go into here because Glenmore is home to, uh, was home to one of the brands that got me through college, right? Kentucky Tavern. Kentucky oh. Tavern, right? Uh, I've said it before on the show. Uh, and Coke. Yeah, time and time again. I mean, Kentucky Tavern was was my drink. Uh, and then I was actually able to, to source through the secondary market a Kentucky Tavern from Glenmore Distilleries. That was actually a Japanese export, so it's got some, some Japanese wow. letters on the back of it, right? Uh, so I'm saving that one for a special day. So kind of talk about... Yeah. Uh, a little bit of history of just kind of Kentucky Tavern and and what it was like during those times at, at Glenmore. Well, Kentucky Tavern was one of the early brands of uh, James Thompson and Brother. There's a replica of an old, uh, there's a picture of an old ad in the booklet that uh, shows Uncle Sam nailing together a case of Kentucky Tavern to ship to the uh, veterans' hospitals. It was used medicinally in those days, back this is turn of the century, last century. And uh, it was uh, accepted medication. And I think it's still an acceptable medication. (laughs) (laughs) Anyhow, uh, that that ad was, it normally hangs on my wall, but it's now down at the Fraser Museum uh, as part of their display. And uh, Kentucky Tavern was a pretty popular brand back there in those days, late 1800s, 1800s. And then, of course, Prohibition came along, and that shocked everybody, except for the six companies that were authorized to remain in business in order to supply medicinal bourbon. Mm -hmm. And uh, And Glenmore was one of those. Yeah, we were one of the six. And... uh, I remember my dad saying that the business was so crippled, all of the companies were so crippled by being limited to that one market that he he said a a good day would be when they might ship 10 cases of bourbon to some drugstore company somewhere. Mm -hmm. And that was the retail outlet for it. Yeah. All by prescription. When you were chairman, if you 
do you think you'd feel good about shipping 10 uh, <laughs> cases a day? No. Well, if it all went to the same place it, <laughs> and there were enough of them. That was yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess talk a little bit more about the time. I mean, were you doing a lot of things of, were you distilling? Were you just overseeing operations? Kind of like a little bit more about some of the, the role that you had had during your, your tenure at, at Glenmore. I guess, if, if to accurately describe that business, uh, I guess I was really supposedly a marketer. And it's, it's very much a marketing business, as you guys know. Production is uh, can be right technical, and uh, it's an art more than a science, I think. Mm-hmm. And it takes very specially talented people to do it right. And... Uh, I think all I could do was admire those people and try to support them and help them with whatever they needed. Mm-hmm. And then when you, we had about a thousand employees at one time, it was usually not that big a company, but we were at that size for a while. And uh, just trying to keep all of them happy and moving in the same direction, that, that's, that's what an executive's job is, mm-hmm. I suppose. Mm-hmm. So let's let's start moving. We'll, we'll kind of fast forward a little bit through history right here. So you had the opportunity, and you said, "All right, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold a hundred of these barrels back." And they just been sitting in Owensboro for the past. Well, they were in Owensboro for a major part of that time, uh-huh. and then we shipped, We brought them up here to Louisville for a while, and then to the uh, Mega Yellow, Cavern, Yellowstone, <laughs> to the, to the, the Yellowstone, Cavern. Yeah, yeah. Mega <laughs> Cavern. Yeah, you don't want any more. You know, like, we don't want any more heat to touch these things. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm so f- so fascinated about. This is the even being able to say five barrels of it because Mike Sani with Heaven Hill is a friend of mine and when they pull 23-year Elijah Craig, he's like, we have to dump 70, 80% of it because oh. it's worthless, you know, it's oh. useless. Uh-huh. And so I'm just amazed that you were able to... to we had, that. I think we had two barrels that we had, something had gone wrong. Yeah. They had leaked and some, somehow a little bit of iron, as you know, iron can ruin whiskey pretty mm-hmm. quickly. And somehow they had gotten contaminated that way, so they were, of course, thrown away. But uh, we ended up, as I say, with about five barrels equivalent. And uh, it's all, it's pretty darn consistent uh, in flavor and color, and uh, I would say in quality. It's it's really an old cognac now. Okay, so I guess the real question is, you know, you didn't stop at thirty. You stopped at forty. Why did you? Why didn't you keep going to fifty? Like, what was what was well, the idea I of like? I wasn't going to live forever. <laughs> <laughs> like, if we're going to do this. The time is now, right? Well, and I was I was real interested in trying to to do something for veterans. I, it's been a persistent desire on my part to do that, and I, I'm not unique. A lot of people feel that way. Um, and I just thought it was time to go ahead and offer this. And if it was popular, as we hoped it would be, that uh, we raised some serious money for some veterans groups. Mm-hmm. Are you a veteran yourself, or is it just uh, something that you want to I was in the service. My brother was, my father. Okay. But, Talk about uh, it just a little bit. Give us some history. Well, Dad was in both world wars. A lieutenant in the First World War in France in combat. And then at age 45... In 1940, he joined the Army. He saw the war coming. You guys are way too young to remember this, but uh, I do recall when he went away, shipped out to to go to camp uh, in 1940. This was a year and a half before the war started for us. He ended up in New Guinea in combat and then in the Philippines and scheduled to make the landing in Japan. Uh, if we had to invade. So, uh, personally, I think Harry Truman saved a heck of a lot of lives by dropping the A-bomb, mm-hmm. as drastic as that was. But mm-hmm. Anyhow, he, he had a fine career in the military, such as it was. And my brother was in the Air Force, also in the Far East. And uh, I was in the Marine Corps for just a couple of years. and. I never, I never made any real contribution to them. They did a great deal for me, growing me up a little bit. 
if if I've ever grown up, I guess. It would be. <laughs> and, my, uh, my dad would say the same thing. He was a Marine as well, and he goes, "Was the uh, was the greatest thing I'm never going to let you do." <laughs> my dad always told me. Um, well, and I, but I thank mean, you for your service. Yeah, yeah, appreciate that. Well, but uh, I think most everybody would say, "I wouldn't go back to boot camp for a million dollars," but I wouldn't take a million dollars for the experience. It was great. It really was. So I think most everybody feels that way about it. No, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I can imagine. So let's let's talk a little bit more about the whiskey in itself, right? So how often were you, uh, you know, going back to to Yellowstone to sit there and test these barrels or try these barrels? Were you like once a year going and just checking it was on every, them? Or? Every year, well, it used to be about every three or four years, and then more recently, about every two years. Because mm-hmm. it didn't, it changes very slowly after after that initial aging. But, I mean, it does continue to mature, but it's a very slow process at that point. Are they are they sad to lose, like, the best tenant ever? They're like, this guy's keeping this bourbon here for 40 years. <laughs> well, I was, I was paying storage on it. Yeah, those taxes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Bonding fees. But, yeah. <laughs> but uh, what you asked about where it was stored, it was first at Owensboro, then we brought the barrels back to Louisville and stored them out on uh, 7th, uh, out at the uh, old Stitzel-Weller plant. Mm-hmm. And then about 10 years ago, I took them to Bardstown and uh, stored them there because I figured that's where we would be bottling. Mm-hmm. And whenever we got around to bottling. And uh, so that's where they rested until... It's a good place to finish. <laughs> yeah. there you go. Did you, did you actually bottle it there? Did you end up having to truck them back to Louisville to no, bottle? No, we did bottle. Oh, we bottled oh, okay. the, first, the first batch. Yeah, the first batch was yeah. bottled there in, in Bardstown. And now we're now we're at Kentucky Artisan Distillery here in okay. Steve Crestwood. Thompson. Yeah, yeah. So you're just you're just making the rounds essentially at this <laughs> yeah, point, right? We're trying to spread the business around. Yeah, everywhere. that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess uh, you know, Scott, I'll, I'll kind of chime you in here. So talk a little bit about the packaging that went in because it's don't be wrong, it's extravagant, right? Like it is it is beautiful packaging. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we talked before we started recording that, you know, the box alone, you're in the, the 100 to $150 range just for the box, right? And that's just from the manufacturing cost. So kind of talk a little bit about the idea behind uh, the design, the packaging, um, labeling, everything mm-hmm. like that that sort of went into this. Because I know this is sort of your right. uh, your bread and butter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's like you know, building a car, you know, you, you sit down and you, you got to talk about what elements you're going to put in there. You know, Buddy wanted to include a sniffner of some type in it. Uh, we talked about a barrel, piece of a barrel stave. So I had, so now I'm thinking, at first I was thinking of a box that was vertical that was just going to have the bottle and a glass in it and a barrel stave. But then when we were talking about a booklet to put in there to tell the story, the whole story, that could go on the flap, and I have all these vendors that I've used um, for other projects. So I just reached out to the, these people and said, "Here's what here's what I'm looking to do," and come back with some some ideas. I gave them a little drawing based on what what Buddy had talked about putting in in, in the packaging. And um, the, bo- the first the first the first piece was the bottle. Find a bottle. So we had Saxco, and 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 he found a vendor that had a pallet. Which was all we really, because this is, like you said, this is a small run. Mm-hmm. We're only doing this one time. <laughs> yeah. And it's going to be roughly around, but he was talking maybe 940 packages. So we, we were able to, Jason was able to yeah. find, a, find a pallet out in San Francisco that was. Yeah. Of and, these bottles. Of yeah. these bottles. So then we got the bottle. Now we got the bottle. So, so they had like 960 in the pallet. And you're like, all right, we only yeah, got 20 to screw up here. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think it was like 985 but, yeah. on the pallet. But we said, it's ours. We want that pallet. Yeah. Yeah. Save it. So they shipped them here. And then, then we had to get a cork. And uh, so we hadn't talked about We sat over at Sasco with uh, Jason. And, and uh, we looked at different corks. And then we found this cork and liked the, liked the wood on the top because we were thinking about the bourbon itself. And... Um, the suppliers in the supplier in uh, in Portugal. Portugal donated them. Wow! That's nice. what, when, when I heard it was for veterans, uh-huh. oh, very cool. He said, "We'll give you the course. Just we pay the shipping. This. Just pay the shipping, and uh, we'll donate the course. I mean, they're eight dollars a piece. The course. Wow! Wow! That adds up. Yeah, yeah it does. Yeah. <laughs> 
So but, you know, that's the kind of things happen throughout this. This whole project. People yeah. have donated their efforts and thoughts and ideas. And uh, a guy named Bill Street, you may know, was a senior guy at Brown Foreman for his entire career. He's quite ill right now, but he was invaluable to me on this thing. And uh, uh, Julian Van Winkle has been a big help. Uh, those guys, you know, we we, we used to compete with each other, mm -hmm. but uh, they just stepped up and said, "This is a great idea. Uh, what can I do to help?" It's been fabulous, and I mean, this is the greatest example I could find. What were some Scott's of the roles that uh, that those kind of those fellows played in this? Like, what were they what helping were they, me yeah. to taste it and say, you know? And they all they've all said what you guys observed. It's a very strong flavor because of the tannins in there. Uh, there's a way to soften that, which we can talk about later. But uh, uh, they commented on that and suggested that if we filtered it properly, we could soften that without taking any of the color or other flavors out of it. And uh, it's, it's all worked together. Mm -hmm. You didn't want to add like some caramel coloring and some vanilla flavoring, <laughs> yeah. some cordials, <laughs> some cinnamon. <laughs> so uh, back to the packaging a little bit, for, so we can just sort of stay on that. So why were you looking at doing? Um, so for people that have looked at it, you can go online, you can you can look at it, and so there is a snifter glass in there, uh, which is a little bit different because you know typically in a uh, sort of a whiskey industry, you have a Glencairn, you've got Copitas, you've got something that are more like tulip shaped, mm -hmm. right? They, they mm -hmm. sort of have that. Um, you know, you have talked uh, already a few times and kind of calling this more of a cognac rather than a, a straight bourbon whiskey and snifter is necessarily for mm -hmm. cognac, brandy, that sort of thing. So was that really your, your idealistic thinking behind it as well? Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns, from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus Magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Um, you know, you have talked uh, already a few times and kind of calling this more of a cognac rather than a, a straight bourbon whiskey. And Snifter is necessarily for mm -hmm. cognac, brandy, that sort of thing. So was that really your your idealistic thinking behind it as well? That's part of it, yes. And we wanted we wanted when they drink it, their nose is in that glass. <laughs> yeah, because the nose on it's phenomenal. It's 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 got a great nose. You guys haven't even smelled it yet. Oh, no, no, we, we haven't. haven't yet. Yeah, I know. I was about to say I was like, we might might have to start bringing it out here really soon. <laughs> Um, and, and so I guess, you know, you, you talked a lot about, you know, the corks being donated. Um, you know, a lot of this was all run through the Fraser Museum, which I'm sure they were very helpful along this process as well. So the, the more that I hear you talk about this and, and really being for veterans, I'm, I'm getting the sensation that you weren't out to make a huge profit on this. 
I'm like just, zero. <laughs> we're trying to recover the cost. Of just the cost. Mm-hmm. Buying all those things and putting them together. and uh, 40 years worth of storage costs, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that does add up. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, For but sure. no, it's not a profit-making thing at all. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. Well, that's... that's that's actually admirable, right? Wow. Like that was one of the things that. Uh, well, remind me, what was the retail price on it when it went to Frazier? Eighteen hundred. Eighteen hundred, right? Yeah. And I, I mean, I think I remember literally the the very next, actually probably that afternoon, they were going for three thousand something like 7, that. Seventy five hundred. Seventy five hundred. You know, I, at some point they they end up, they see they see their highs, they start yeah. fizzling right. out, they kind of see where it's at, right? Um, and a lot of people. It's it's funny because I know some people that bought them on the secondary market and they bought them because they realized that there's not going to be another one of these that are probably ever going to happen, right? Um, Tis the name, final. Yeah. yeah final. <laughs> final reserve. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, uh, other than that, they, like the oldest other product that I know that's been out there, I mean, you've got what? 27 year Willet or something like 28. You, you get, yeah, you've got those old, you got those old ones. You've got the 27 year Parkers. You've mm-hmm. got some of those other ones that um, you've never even seen any of those kind of hit the, the three mark, right? Right. And yeah. you said, well, we're just going to go another decade, right? <laughs> and so hit the, hit the four mark, right? Mm-hmm. So it is interesting um, in the fact about that. So talk a little bit some about the, how many bottles were going in each of these batches? Um, what's the release cycle or cadence? Is it over? Um, like, kind of talk about that too. The first batch was sold on March 1st at Fraser. Mm-hmm. That was 250 mm-hmm. bottles, uh, packages. 249, bottles. number 250s right here, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that, that could be. No, it's in my trunk. But, uh, and then, uh, this is the second release. <laughs> And then uh, uh, just last uh, two weeks, about two weeks ago, we bottled up what we called our second and third batches. Mm-hmm. The no, second batch was 44-year-old. Okay. And uh, there wasn't much of it. We only had about enough for 91. 90 bottles. And then uh, another 150 bottles were a 42-year-old. That's batch three. Okay. There will be a batch four in probably September, October, long in there. So why why do multiple releases? Why not just do put them all together and you say this is uh, one big 40-year-old batch? Well, the logistics of doing this are horrendous. All These hand. boxes are bulky. You can imagine, you know, boxes this size. We, uh, 950 of those would take up a lot of space. Mm-hmm. And it would be a you huge, trying to say this office can't fit 950 uh, bucks? I don't think so. <laughs> Not with him in it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, up your insurance after yeah. that. Right? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I'm bringing all that material together at one place at one time. It was just, uh, it was just a monstrous headache. So mm-hmm. we're trying to do it in bites that we can manage. And we have, uh, we've used, a, I think, probably a little over half of our bourbon mm-hmm. to do these two releases. And then I also know that uh, Bill from Bill Thomas from Jack Rose was uh-huh. a part of this too, uh-huh. um, with uh, kind of doing a leading a seminar, kind of talking about it. Can you shed some light on um, exactly like what he did during and this how process? He got for involved. You? Yeah. How did you find? How did you find him? I found him through a mutual friend who's connected Dave? to Fraser. Dave. Uh, David. Dave Boffman is his name, and he's a director at the Fraser, an old friend of mine. And it was really Dave's idea that we end up working with a Fraser. He called up one day and said, I think I remember you telling me you had some old whiskey. And I said, yeah. He said, have you ever bottled it? And I said, no, we're thinking about doing it right now. <laughs> it hasn't matured just and, yet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, Still waiting to get that It's going to take another week and it'll be ready. <laughs> uh, and uh, he, he said, well, how about this? Uh, the Fraser is interested in developing its contacts with the bourbon trail and the bourbon industry. How about letting us consider being your outlet? And uh, I said, we've got nobody else to talk to right now. That's fine. So that's the way it began. It was his idea, and the people down there have been terrific to work with. Uh, They've really turned out, and when they've put on events, they do it first class, they're very efficient. They know what they're doing, and they 
really done a great job. Mm-hmm. And they got that prohibition exhibit. It was just as, it's just fun to go through that anyway, yeah. right? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Bill, what he yeah. what he did, what Bill did was he orchestrated the tasting at the first release, yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, and it went it went fine. Had a great time. It was a great event, and we're going to do it again soon. Good. Yeah. Bill, if Bill knows one thing, it's all about old whiskeys. He's got a ton of them. He's got a big collection. Yeah, I've been to his does. house. I've seen all those. Oh, have you? He's, yeah. a, good, he's a good friend of the show. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So I guess this uh, might be a good time to to bring some glasses out and try this bad boy, right? Once it's <laughs> oh, going. yeah. You're on. So, this, is, this is old. It, it, it won't bruise or anything, but you just want to be gentle with it. Yeah. I mean, it's so, amazing how dark it is. This is, uh, it almost looks like a, like a cherry cola. <laughs> right, I mean that's that's the to the degree uh, for anybody yeah. that's been able. Nose is incredible. Watch yeah. the uh, you know not watching the video right now, but the, um, the the color is. I mean, it is it is a deep dark. It looks like a Guinness. Like, a, like, like the, a, guys, <laughs> the guys who bought you out, <laughs> like a navy rum or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're not joking. Uh, Snifter is kind of a way to go when you really get your oh, nose yeah. in there. I could smell that all day. Yeah, I know. I can smell it from here. Well, that's what I think. You know, your next venture is going to be a candle. (laughs) (laughs) The Final Reserve. (laughs) Yankee Candle. (laughs) Yankee Candle Collection for Final Reserve, right? Uh, That should usually be the... The next thing you do, go ahead. You keep sniffing on that. Let's let's ask some more questions. So it's got legs to it too, as you can oh, see. Yeah. So I'm scared I, to even swirl it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you want to keep passing that around and smelling it, you could definitely smell that for days. Uh, I mean, that's that is incredible. So the the package right there, it says double oaked on it. So what do you mean by double oaked? As in being rebarreled or something? Is that is that the process that you're talking about? Yep, right. We this second release we double this we double oaked. The first release. Was so this is 120 30. barrel proof, mm-hmm. and and then this is 115, and then we we dumped it and put them in toasted oak barrels, and uh, to maybe pull see if it'll pull some of the the wood out of the back end of it. Right. I know this yeah. is in the card, but what was the entry proof? Forty-four years ago. Okay. 107. 107. Gotcha. Was, this was made at the Yellowstone Distillery. Okay. And again, you guys aren't old enough, but we had a brand back then called Melamash, and it was one of the early boutique bourbons. Okay. And uh, it, it actually it was right popular in a very limited market. A bunch of a bunch of it went to Japan back in the '80s and '90s, or mostly the '80s, and uh, and it was served at the White House and at some pretty nice places in New York City and, you know, places around here. Mm-hmm. But uh, Melamash was our premium Yellowstone bourbon. And it was an old recipe from 1836. And warehouse number one. I mean, it had a lot of history to it. Mm-hmm. That's what this would have been if yeah. they'd have bottled it yeah. in 10 years. So. And it didn't it's have a crazy. name until uh, 1872. When President Grant designated our first national park, which was Yellowstone Park, and the, the country apparently it was a craze. Everything was related to Yellowstone Park, and this whiskey that had just been sold in barrels from uh, Gethsemane, where it was distilled. But his son, they suddenly thought, hey, let's call it Yellowstone. <laughs> and that's Wait, we don't I, need to look the branding any more than just that. Right? <laughs> right. That, that right. Was they a, didn't have a Scott around at that time, right? <laughs> that's right. Not then. That was, yeah, that was marketing in those days. So, yeah. It is amazing just... I'm 33. Something that's 10 years older than me, it's, or you know, it's pretty crazy. Absolutely. What were some of your go-to whiskeys back in the day? When you when you were working, you know, the chairman at... Uh, Glenmore, what, what kind of some of your go-to whiskeys back then? Oh, well, I drank Yellowstone and Kentucky Tavern. Had plenty of it. We're going to get along <laughs> Yeah, I knew fine. where to get it. <laughs> I knew where I could get some. Yeah. Now, I will tell you, when my brother and I were 12, 14 years old, Dad took it. He was right after the war, and he was back from the Army. And he took Frank and me to uh, the distillery in Owensboro. And he showed us the vats and the cooking and the mashing and the yeasting and all the process 
<coughs> fermentation leading up to the being put in the barrels, and then we ended up at the bottling house. And we stood there, and the whiskey came down from tanks, and it's going into these bottles, and they're zipping by. It looked like 100 miles an hour, you know. And we got all through with that, and here he's talking to these two teenage kids of his. And he said, boys, the purpose of this visit is to let you know we can make it a lot faster than you can drink it. <laughs> <laughs> so don't try. Don't try. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm still sniffing this. I mean, you yeah. could oh, definitely that. smell this for days. I, like I said, I think Yankee Candle is going to start coming for you all soon. So you might want to save a few drops of it so they can try to recreate it in the lab or something. <laughs> well, you mentioned, Bill, when, we, when I first met him, and uh, we got to try, and he tasted some. He said, well, this tannin is pretty strong. And he said, you know, we could put a couple of drops of sherry in there. And I'd forgotten about it. 60 years ago, one of the guys at, at the distillery was telling me about this old technique of putting a little sugar or honey or sherry in with a strong old bourbon or cognac. And it absolutely knocks that tannin out of it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Have you had that experience? I haven't. I've, we're, we're not. We're not at your level yet. No. Well, <laughs> we've had, I've had sherry cask finished products, um, but not. Yeah, not any. Uh, in I typically hate scotches, but the ones that I can tolerate are uh, mm -hmm. been aged in a sherry cask. Oh, yeah. You know, because oh, yeah. they kind of take that. You know, like yeah, the takes that edge edge off. The edge yeah. Off, yeah, the harshness of it. Well, he mentioned that, and Bill mentioned it, and it suddenly dawned on me. I've known I've known that all these years and <laughs> forgot about it. Yeah, and uh, so there's a card in the box that suggests because some people like it just like this, and others say it's too strong. Yeah, you know, but this will this will correct that if. Yeah, it, I mean it's just like any barrel proof whiskey. Some people at barrel proof will be like, "Whoa, this is blowing my taste buds off," but you can kind of just take it to where you want it, you yeah, know, and, yeah. and then enjoy yeah, it there. A little warm water, you can. Tone it back to not too but no much. ice cubes. You said don't no put any ice, ice cubes no near ice. the zip code. Oh, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's, that's, right. I do remember that now. So yeah, if you do get the booklet and you read through the booklet, um, you know we got a PDF of it and got to read through it. It was funny. It says that you shouldn't have an ice cube in the same zip code as this, <laughs> yeah. as this whiskey, yeah. right? Or a diet cola. Or a diet cola. <laughs> oh, ah. oh my god. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so I think the, the good thing that we are recognizing here is that. You're not saying that this isn't free from, um, you know, what some people, they don't like. They don't like tannins, right? And right. You're, you're very much, like, upfront about it. You're like, yes, it's very, very heavy on that. Yeah. Very, very heavy on oak. Like, you're not going to get across from that, right? right? You know, when you— This isn't a 12-year weeded bourbon. That no, it's going to be right. a caramel it's and sugar bomb. Yeah. <laughs> and so I guess what was your idea that when you're hoping to release this that— um, whether they're critics or whether anything else, what people were going to say about the whiskey in itself, right? We can talk about, you know, we love that, you know, it's uh, something that's very unique, the oldest thing that's ever been there, uh, donating everything to, to veterans and making sure that it's going towards a good cause. But when you think about the whiskey in itself and how you're trying to appease to a particular market, is there a, is there a segment of the market or is there somebody that you're really looking at and saying those are, that's our target no. uh, consumer? That went, I mean, that's a marketing issue, and we, that that's getting into a, a kind of a mass market, and we realized we weren't going to be doing that. I mean, there are only 900 probably total of these right. bottles, and uh, so it, it's not a matter of trying to build a brand, or there won't be a production next year or the year after that. That's it. Mm -hmm. And so we figured it's going to end up in the hands of people that Probably you're going to save these bottles for an occasion like a wedding or a graduation or maybe a funeral. And that's why the little tasting bottle is in there. Uh, it's a little 100 milliliter bottle, you know. Yeah, we didn't actually talk about that it. during the yeah. packaging. They that that brought was, that up, uh, yeah, because that's that unique. was an idea that uh, was, I think was unique to us. And uh, I'm, I'm not aware of anybody else ever doing that. Yeah, and I think one of the fellows in your block said, boy, that's risky. <laughs> People are going to taste that, and they may feel it's too strong, and they won't want to fool with a big bottle. But I, I still feel that was the right thing to do, let people taste that and 
play with it, cook with it, do whatever they wanted with it. <laughs> you don't want people to cook uh, with this, do you? Come on, get real. Well, everything tastes better with a little bourbon in it. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but at any rate, let them do that and still save this bottle for that special occasion. Mm -hmm. The proof, right? So when you're thinking this, were you saying we're just going to make it the highest proof of whatever is available, or were you trying to proof it to a specific no? We thing, were or? trying to leave it as nearly pristine as possible, mm -hmm. and it's a barrel proof. Whatever came out of the barrel, that's the way it got bottled. Okay, and uh, as, as the first batch was 120 proof. Actually, it's 120.6 or some fraction. And what's this was a, what's a little a few, over few 115. Friends. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, exactly. Well, this was a little over 115, and uh, so that's that's the way we bottled it. Awesome, awesome. So I guess let's let's start. Let's taste it, right? <laughs> I mean, I think we've talked about the nose a lot. Yeah. So, buddy, do you look at this as uh, like a good culmination of uh, your li cool. a lot of your life's work? Yes, I really do. Uh, that, that, let me take the smallest one because I'm not going to drink. Yeah, I'm, that's yeah. You've you've got probably thirty of these bottles stacked away <laughs> in your basement, right? So yeah, those have been sitting in my basement since the time. <laughs> I'm just glad to get them out, <laughs> get them back over to Buddy. <laughs> so I mean, in your in your opinion, like how many really? How many bottles of these are you holding around for yourself, your family, your legacy, or anything I like got, that? Well, I showed you. I've got six boxes here for uh, some old Glenmore people that helped with this. And uh, I, I do want to save a few for my kids to probably drink at my funeral. Mm -hmm. And uh, or maybe save them for their funerals. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Would you be mad if they rebarreled it and then it was like an 80 here? Right? <laughs> that'd be, that'd, they could double oak. Yeah. Yeah. Triple, triple oak. Triple oak, quadruple oak at that uh, point. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I, there's definitely a lot of wood, a lot of tannins. However, I did get some mint. Um, definitely a little little hint of mint on the front of it. Um, a lot of, like, plum, like, licorice. Fruit, yeah, yeah kind of licorice, mm -hmm. for sure. Um, but, I mean, it's it's an interesting pour, right? Uh, it's history. Definitely, definitely yeah. something that, yeah, and... and Cheers! Thank you all for yeah, allowing us to try it. You know, it's a, a huge honor. It's a rare opportunity, it's, right? You know, it's really our fault that we didn't come to you guys back in February and well, say, "We're here oh, now." We're, we're just, <laughs> nobody, just nobody. We're going to introduce this, and obviously, we you know we want everybody to know about it. And this that would have been such a logical thing to do, but we just we were busy with. Pulling all these strings together. Right, to make it all happen. Yeah. Yeah. And then we overlooked that. Well, so. now right. we know that we all live a few minutes together. We'll, we'll just do this every week. Yeah, we'll go to Saints or something. You can bring your bottle. You know, let's go to the bar down the street. We'll make it happen. Right? <laughs> I'll bring a bottle, too. I, I guess I, I could have brought my Glenmore bottle here today. Um, so, you know, yeah, we'll we'll bring that in the next bottle share. Um, and, and, no, I, actually, buddy, I'll take it to you. So what what do you really get out of this uh, when you're drinking? I mean, do you, are there certain notes, or are you just well, are you just I'm, really I'm trying to take in the moment? I, actually, I did mention my tasting has really gone downhill over the years. It's, I've, I'm don't, 80, don't tell, I know. Don't tell and me I've that's what happens when we get old. Though, right? <laughs> you start losing our hair and our taste buds. A lot of things happen. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to know about it. Uh, but I, the the nose is the to me, the best part. Oh, yeah. You know, this is where it's at. It's <laughs> Oh, yeah. It's like I almost just don't want to drink the rest of it, right? I know. Oh, just, just keep smelling. He's going to make a candle. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, right. just <laughs> make incense. I, I got enough to make a birthday candle. Maybe <laughs> this, right? well, I would, you probably shouldn't smoke too close to this thing. You know? I get like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is a, definitely a rare opportunity to try something that's, you know, older than we are, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, definitely don't get that, that opportunity to anymore. Um, you know, I'm going to take probably one more sip. I'm going to try to save one more for have a third final sip, too. So. <laughs> well, there's still some in the bottle. Yeah, we got plenty in here. No, it's okay. You probably have a lot of other bloggers or podcasters who are going <laughs> to put their foot in their mouth and you got to invite them over, too, right? So. <laughs> and so I guess the other thing was about with the pricing aspect. You know, when you came out and you put $1,800 price, $1, price tag on it, do you think that you were going to scare any consumers? <clears throat> um, were you— 
where you like, don't worry about it. This is going to sell out an hour anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> don't worry about it. That's yeah. basically how we were. It, it, we knew that there's a there's a collector market out there. Huge right. collector market. <laughs> and we did we did yeah. bounce around price points on this. And we knew the secondary market was going to be it was going to was going to be big. Thirty minutes after the, they were in line. They were on. Oh yeah, because they knew they knew they were going to have it, and so they're basically selling like the pre-sale bottle, right? They're, <laughs> yeah, right. Before, it's in possession. before it was even in possession. And yeah. all the bottles are signed by Buddy. He signed every bottle. That's so at least another fifty bucks, oh, yeah. right? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> that, all right, sorry, from- seventy-five. We'll give you a little, you a little <laughs> yeah. more. There. So we just settled on eighteen eighteen hundred. Mm-hmm. Well, and that allows with all the costs and. We we do pay taxes out of that, of course. Yeah, the man always has the to state get taxes. Oh, get the right state away. taxes are a hundred and something dollars a bottle. The, the state tax is significant because it's based on retail pricing. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, we, you take all of those expenses out, and there's still that leaves about a thousand dollars for the, the amount going to veterans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's you know that's. Gonna be nice. If you say a thousand dollars per bottle, we're going to veterans. Yeah, yeah roughly. that's awesome. Yeah, we raised what two hundred thirty-five thousand dollars on the first release. Yeah, well, wow. Pro wow. checks fifty thousand dollars to all four branches cool. of the military yes. and the Congressional like, Medal of Honor, thirty-five thousand for an hour and a half for it. But that, at, uh, yeah, go ahead. At that uh, at that March first event, I had through uh, just by chance, I knew one of the fellows involved with the Medal of Honor Foundation in Washington. And I called him up one day and said, I've got some bourbon and I want to do some for veterans. Is there anything that you can do with this to generate money for your cause? And I thought maybe they'd want to auction off something. And uh, they just went nuts over it. He said, that's fabulous. You know, we want all the help we can get. So I used uh, an organization called Charity Watch that reviews the financial reports of charities all over the country mm-hmm. and grades them. They give them a mark and a score. And uh, I wonder what Goodwill's <laughs> looks like. <laughs> Everybody hates Goodwill, right? I know, so. I know. <laughs> anyway, they came back with good scores for several veterans. Groups. I'm going to get an email from Goodwill next week. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of them were pretty bad. <clears throat> some of them have a bad reputation and they've been bad. But the ones that I picked were, <clears throat> number one, they were veterans, or veteran support. Uh, two, that at least 85% of the money they raised went right to the cause that they were supporting, not overhead and expenses and travel and so forth, like the Clinton Foundation, and uh, or wounded warriors, they're bad. <clears throat> uh, and then, that no more than 5% of their money was spent for fundraising expenses. So those were the criteria. criteria. And then the third one, the next one that I used was that they were small enough that whatever money we gave them would be significant to them. Mm-hmm. And typically it was gonna be 40 or $50,000 a piece. And, uh, and each, I sent it off to five different ones, I guess. I got the most fantastic letters back from these people, uh, and, you know, saying there are two projects we've been wanting to do for years. Now we've got the funds to do them. Yeah. You know, mm. one, one of these outfits, well, the Medal of Honor is pretty obvious, but one of them modifies homes so that crippled veterans can get a, you know, they're modified for wheelchairs and handrails and so on. And, uh, uh, golly, there's Trident House for the Seals. And it's a house where a grieving family can spend a week or two when they get word that their seal has been killed or hurt. Uh, they can, seals with their families can use it after a deployment. It, I mean, things like this, stuff that after you've met a few of these people, it bring tears to your eyes. Mm-hmm. They're just fabulous. Yeah. And that, I mean, I just wanted somehow to participate in supporting those people, men and women. 
It's got to be very rewarding and humbling to be able to do that. I'm so so glad it's working out that way. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a that's a great note to to end the show on today. So I think it's um, you know thank you very much for all the work that you've done to be able to raise uh, you know two hundred thirty plus thousand dollars so far for veterans. uh, Those great organizations putting out a, a bourbon whiskey that is. Slash cognac, whatever you want to call it, right? <laughs> we'll see. Depends on the person who's drinking it, but you know, it's uh, it was a rare opportunity to be able to try this. Thank you so much for uh, you know the graciousness asking us to come by and you know, and hear your story. Uh, you know, I think what's one of the one things we love to do about this podcast is get the history of the people that are in the business and getting to know more about your past with Glenmore and you know touching my heartstrings at Kentucky Tavern, right? I mean, I think it all, you know, we, we, hit a, we hit a bunch of good angles today, so it was, it was fantastic. Thank you guys for coming, really. Yeah. It's been oh. a treat for us. Yes, no, thank you for having us. It was an honor and a privilege to sit here and listen to your stories and all this project come together. It's very cool. Thank you. Absolutely. So if anybody wants to learn more about Final Reserve, about uh, Thompson & Brother, like where would they go to be able to do that? Is it on Fraser's, Fraser's website? Yeah, Fraser's website. They can go on the website, and there'll be uh, a picture of the Final Reserve button. You can click on that, and you can read about it. Awesome. Well, gentlemen, thank you again for allowing us the opportunity to be able to do this. Uh, anybody else that's out there, make sure you're following us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Burn Pursuit. If you like what you hear, make sure you also support the show on Patreon, patreon.com slash Burn Pursuit. We've got all kinds of cool things, uh, T-shirts that— Ryan and I are both sporting today. We actually showed up today and we're like, oh, we're, we match. We've got blue shorts on. we got <laughs> oh, rainbow no. sandals and the same shirt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah. They probably the were douchebags. <laughs> <laughs> like, who are these guys? <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, make sure you support the show. we got all kinds of cool stuff uh, to be able to give away through there as well. Yeah, and if you guys have any show suggestions, comments, feedback, we love hearing from you because... Uh, we just want to know what you guys want to hear. And I appreciate you all reaching out to us. This was a huge honor and uh, very appreciative of your time and allowing us to taste the product. So uh, thanks again. Great. With yep. that, we'll see everybody next week. Mm-hmm.